0: As we kick off this series, all of us want to know the why behind the what at some level. All of us. It's like it's part of our DNA, right? When kids, you know, grow up and when they're two and three and five and seven and 11, there's this consistent and constant need to know why they're supposed to do what maybe mom, dad, teacher, parent, neighbor, whatever it may be, may be asking them to do. And so why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to go to sleep now? Why is the sky blue? Why did God create belly buttons? You know, the important things, you know, in life that are asked by young people. But as a parent, what typically happens is you just get exasperated. And over time, you just kind of say this phrase, what's the phrase? Because I told you to. Because I said so, just do it. You know, you'll learn when you're my age to say the same thing to your kids as well. But as you grow up into the teenage years, the whys can get harder and more important to answer. Why can't I stay up all night? Why do I have to do homework still? Why shouldn't I have sex before marriage? Why am I going through this hard time or season? Why am I not liked on others or at my school? Why do I have to go to church? And why don't you want me to change my gender? See, these whys, this generation that's growing up is dealing with so many more things and they want to know the why behind the what. And as an adult, it continues. Why am I getting this performance review right now? Why did I lose my job? Why don't you just do what I say? Why did God allow me to get cancer or to lose a loved one? So we're in the beginning of series today called the why behind the what. Most of us recognize what is happening, but we want to know why. Because sometimes the why can give us comfort, it can give us perspective, and it can help us to understand as we move forward. So when it comes to Jesus, a lot of what he models and what he teaches is understandable, but why is he saying these things? See, we're gonna look at these next eight weeks at three chapters in our New Testament in the Bible's book of Matthew, Chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, what you need to understand is that there are four books that testify to the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is a former tax collector, and you might read his other name uh, called Levi, which is more uh, talked about in Mark and in Luke. Now, he was one of the first 12 followers of Jesus, and he's writing as an eyewitness account. The most important thing I want you to know about Matthew is who he's writing to. If you send an email today, there's a specific tone or message that you're trying to say depending on the hearer. Same thing in Jesus' day. And so Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience. The reason that's important is because for us to fully understand why Matthew is writing what he is writing, some of it we're going to need to understand some Jewish history and culture so that we can best understand what God's word has to say to us through the series. So these three chapters are so important to us. But Matthew tells us why these three chapters are, but he doesn't tell us in the three chapters. He actually tells us on the chapter before in chapter four, verse 23, for it says this, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. So what you need to understand is that he tells us to the Jewish people that there is a kingdom that's being ushered in. See, the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah. A a Messiah means the anointed one in in, in the Hebrew. in In the New Testament, the same translation is Christ. Believe it or not, Christ is not Jesus' last name. And so his, it's a title, it's who he is. He's the promised Messiah. Now they're looking for a king who's gonna usher in the kingdom because again, Jewish people are under Roman occupation and they can't wait to break free and have God come and deliver them through this Messiah. Now, Jesus, though, was going around to these synagogues and places and proclaiming the good news in Matthew at the end of chapter four. So then Matthew spends chapters five, six, and seven walking through what is the good news about the kingdom of God. So he spends, the reason he spends three chapters is because uh, as Jesus is going around, he gets a chance to record what is Jesus saying about the good news about the kingdom of God, which leads us right into chapter five, verse one, which helps us to better understand the kingdom. Now, let let me explain this really briefly. The kingdom of God is God's reign and rule in our lives. It's not a land, you know, it's not a a place that you're going to find on this side of eternity, but it's God's reign and rule in our lives. So wherever you find God reigning and God ruling in individuals or people, there you will find the beginnings of the kingdom of God, especially here on earth. And so if he is the king and he's ushering in the kingdom, he's offering us a way on how to live in that kingdom. And he tells us how we should live in this kingdom, how we're supposed to do it. And he tells us at the end of his sermon, and actually chapter seven, verse 24, it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, and follows it as wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Then the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise, and winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So what Jesus is about to tell us is you're going to hear a sermon from Jesus over these next Eight weeks for us together in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And he says at the end of 7, the point of me proclaiming these words is not for you to walk away hearing, being challenged, intellectually better because of it, but to apply it so that you might build your life on a foundation because storms in life do come. How do we get through storms? We are centered on the kingdom of God, which is actually applying his words, Uh, My daughter uh, loves to draw, she loves to paint, and uh, I don't know if you've ever given a gift or received something, and the kid cared more about the box than the gift. You know, well, uh, she was so excited because we actually got you know a, a piece of furniture for our deck and there was this ginormous box, and so she spent hours just coloring it and making it into a princess castle and just all this extravagant stuff that was there, and she placed it outside and she played in it and it was great and it was fun until last Sunday. When the storm came and the winds beat against it and the snow and the sleet and the hail and all came and we got back from church and if you've ever been around cardboard that's been soaked, you just kind of peeled it away and she was so disappointed but I just kept thinking, isn't that true of so so many of our lives? It looks so good on the outside, looks so perfect on the outside and we spent so much time and energy but what have we built that outside upon? is it upon a firm foundation? Jesus says, he who hears my words and puts them into practice. And so with that in mind, let's begin. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verses 1, and we're going to get try to get through 13 in a blitz today for the remaining of our time together. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, says this, one day, As Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, and I think we've got a picture, you know, of what that would look like on this mountainside. Uh, It's not like a mountain. When you look out here in our part of the country, you're like, whoa, he must be way up, climbing up on the hill. No, it's kind of like a large hill. And so this would approximately be the place where he would have all these people begin to come and listen to him. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them then he's going to go into this litany or this conversation on what it means to be blessed, what it means to be blessed. Now, before we jump into that, to understand and to live in the kingdom, if you get nothing else, is a heart issue, not a to-do list. We can walk through this and think, just like in your home and my home, if our kids are only doing rules and don't have relationship, it doesn't help the family dynamic. So Jesus is gonna walk through a lot of things that we should do and shouldn't do over these next 10 weeks. Understand though, it's most important to him about the heart behind, which is the why behind the what? Now, this word blessing, because you're going to hear blessed are those or blessings are these, you know, as we go through these next few verses. Here's something that you need to understand our understanding of blessed or blessing gets misinterpreted as we read this. Let me give you a few examples. In our culture, when somebody sneezes, what do you say? God bless you. Now, you do realize that that is a superstition based on this evil spirit. You don't want it to come in, research it on your own, but we've kept it on and it sounds good. You know, it's it's actually good. We're saying, God bless you. Or another time that we say, you know, bless is when we uh, see something or we tell somebody that you are so blessed. I mean, you are so blessed. God blessed you. Oh my gosh, you must have a blessed life. Hashtag blessed. You know, you see this all over the place, you know, uh, in our society, unless you're in the South. If you're in the South, they use this, fra- this phrase, oh, bless your heart. That just means that you're a moron and what you said, I don't want to insult you or make fun of you, but I just want to bless your heart, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't help yourself, you're that in, much of an idiot, you know, and so, you know that, you know, that's bless your heart. So, but in the context of the New Testament, there are actually two Greek words that have the same English translation, and we get confused. Uh, the first word is the word. I'm going to b- butcher this probably. Uh, "Eulago," okay? Youlo, "Eulago." I think is how do you pronounce it? It's where we get eulogy from but it's an opportunity to speak a blessing on behalf of a person. This is why this person's life was blessed, or to congratulate, or to recognize, God, you are a blessing to me, and we we say that to God. Thank you for the blessings that I've received in my life, and that is a common thing that we hear around our lives today. The second Greek word, though, is makarios, which indicates a state or joy of cer- beyond circumstances, specifically a self-contained happiness. You see, the Greeks had this island. Uh, it was the island of Cyprus. I think modern day Hawaii, okay? So this place, in and, itself, in and of itself felt like anybody who lived there or who got a chance to stay there, it was a self-contained place of happiness. The, the weather was perfect all year round. The crops grew great. People just seemed to be happier because of the sun and the temperature and all that kind of stuff took place on the island of Cyprus. Now, guess what they called the island of Cyprus? They call it the island Island of Makarios. It's the island of self-contained happiness Or circumstances. So it means, regardless of what's happening externally, you can go to this island and all the happiness, all the joy that you're looking for can be there. Now, this is really important because this is the word that Jesus uses when he's talking about blessed are. What he's saying is, the kingdom of God is a beyond circumstance that you and I can experience joy in our lives internally. It is a self-contained joy beyond circumstance. And we are blessed because of that. And so that's what he means when he's actually using that word bless, which helps everything kind of come into context. So let's start. God blesses so here's this, he's going to give this internal joy beyond circumstance that's contained joy inside of us, those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is there. So they're there. So blessed by a spiritual state of poverty. Uh, Jesus tells this story that there were two guys that go to a temple to pray. Uh, One is a religious leader. I mean, he knows, you know, the Old Testament inside and out. He's a great teacher, and he stands before God and before all these people, and out loud, he prays this kind of prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I'm not a cheater. I'm not a sinner, adulterer. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. And he points to another guy that is huddled in the corner of the area. He goes, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. See, he looks good on the outside, Things are great on the outside, but then you see the tax collector who stares at a distance. He doesn't even lift his eyes towards heaven when he prays. Instead, he beats his chest with sorrow. And he says, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. See, we are blessed internally when we recognize that without God, we cannot be in the presence of God. We have nothing to stand on. We are as poor as poor can be. You have nothing that gives you any right to stand before a holy God. And yet, when you receive Jesus, you get ushered into his kingdom. Because of Jesus, we can be blessed. And when we are blessed because of that, the kingdom of heaven is ours. Psalms fifty-one, seventeen says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken heart or a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken repentant heart, O oh God. So do we come to God in a state of poverty or do we come to him in a state of afterthought? Blessed are those who realize their need for him. Which goes to verse four. God blesses those who mourn for they shall be happy, for I mean, they shall be comforted. Which it sounds funny. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, like why would I wanna be blessed for mourning? Remember what he means by blessed. An internal state of joy, even in the midst of despair and over time, you and I will be comforted. See, every pain and suffering you and I will go through is directly or indirectly tied to sin. My sin, someone else's sin, the sin of creation. The consequence should bring a state of mourning in our lives. The hurt that we go through because we've caused other people pain should cause a mourning inside of us. The pain that other people have caught through, the pain that this world is, should create a sense of mourning and loss, especially when we lose a loved one. And yet, over time, we don't mourn as people without hope because in the kingdom, there's hope beyond the grave. In the kingdom, this is not all life circumstances and so jesus is ushering in the kingdom and say blessed are those who mourn it's okay to mourn jesus even wept still knowing the outcome of raising lazarus from the dead and yet he still mourned for they shall be comforted on this side or in the side that's to come over time and with perspective we can echo psalms 30 verse 11 you have turned my mourning into cheerful dancing You have taken my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. God, you cover my sin. You restore relationships. You connect me to other people, and I will see those other people again if they also have trusted in you because the kingdom of God doesn't end here. It only ushers us into the next place, which leads us to verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. See, happy internally are those who have a humble heart when we believe that we are better than other people or we perform better, we begin to have this mindset when we walk into rooms and meet people that unintentionally I'm I'm better than you are at. God says no, 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 always come with a state of humility, looking to serve instead of be served, then you will have this blessing, this internal joy that comes from the kingdom of God that only comes from him, for we will inherit the whole earth, now that's a bit tricky. What does it mean, the Herod, the whole earth? Now again, the Jews have been promised the promised land. Right? That's what they were promised. And so they're waiting for God to fulfill that promise again, that although they're living in the promised land, it doesn't feel like the promised land because the Romans are ruling over them. And the idea was, especially if you study recent Jewish history, is they're waiting for a prophet, priest, or king to rise up like the Maccabees. You can study that in history. I just don't have time to be able to look at it now. Who's going to bring a sword and who's going to deliver it because that's the only way you take land. is is through the sword, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. The earth is in God's hands, and so when he's telling the Jewish people, this would blow in their minds. Like, are you kidding me? We're supposed to wait upon you? Yes, look at your long-term history. I'm the one that will deliver you. For those of us who are reading on this side, you know, of Jesus' resurrection, we understand that the promised land isn't actually a location on this side of eternity, The promised land is what awaits for us. And as we are humble, we know our need for Jesus entering to the kingdom, which promises us an eternal kingdom forever. And it's not just heaven. Remember that God says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we are going to reign over this new land in the days and millennials to come. God blesses those who are humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalms 37, 9, for the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Verse 11, the lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity, which leads us now to verse six. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they shall be satisfied. You know, I don't know if you've ever been super hungry or thirsty. Most of us as Americans don't understand what it's like to go through an unbearable time or a season of true hunger and thirst. But think of a time that you've gone incredibly, a long day or season or even an extended workout where have you ever just grabbed that water, that Gatorade or whatever, and you just put it to your lips and it was just so satisfying. It was just so satisfying. I remember finishing the 70.3 and I had two experiences. One, my hatred towards Kenny and Eric was at an all-time high, Um, but my second was when I actually got to sit down and just begin to, I wasn't hungry at all, but when I get to drink a little bit, it just felt unlike any other drink of water I have ever had in my entire life. How good does that taste? The only other way I could equate equate it to, because I've heard this before, is what about pregnant women with cravings? Right? There is this unsatiable I've got to have experience, you know, that uh, many women go through when they're, and it's the weirdest things, you know, I just want, I want pickles with ice cream, you know, and, and some of these kinds of things, but they've got to have it. And then when they have it, at least in in my house, it's like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, that is so nasty, but I'm glad you're excited about whatever your body needs, you know, right now. It provides temporary satisfaction. Temporary satisfaction. See, the Rolling Stones are wrong. You can get satisfaction when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, righteousness literally means a right standing before God, which the only way we can have a right standing before God is not because of us, it's because of Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to hunger and thirst for a relationship with God that only comes from God that allows us to have the true satisfaction that he wants to bring us in life. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Verse seven, God blesses those who are merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. This is a do unto others. A person who forgives is going to be forgiven. Merciful will be shown mercy. Many of you have seen the news of you know, the police officer was convicted you know, of killing a guy because she went into the wrong apartment. But I wanna show you in case you had not seen an eclipse of the entire story because I think this epitomizes what it means for God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now.
1: This panic-filled scene in September of last year after former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger shot and killed an innocent man, Botham Jean, in his own apartment, resulted in this sentence.
0: 10 years imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice.
1: Geiger said she thought she had walked into her own apartment. CBN reporter Amber Strong reported on the tragedy and the response by Jean's church.
0: I've interviewed his friends, his ministers, I talked to his teachers, I talked to his uh, employers and it was all a consistent message that Botham John was a servant, that he was kind from the least to the greatest.
1: The 10-year sentence with the possibility of parole after five is far less than the 99 years in prison Geiger faced. Outside the courthouse, the sentence sparked protests and intense confrontations. And Jean's mother spoke out against the police.
0: If Amber Geiger was trained not to shoot in the heart, my son would be standing here today.
1: But inside the courtroom, both Botham Jean's brother, 18-year-old Brant Jean, showed tremendous forgiveness toward Geiger after the sentence was imposed. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him,
0: he will forgive you. I want the best for you because I know that's what
1: that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Then an amazing show of grace that attorneys, court employees and reporters said they'd never seen in all their years. I don't know if this is possible but can can I give her a hug please? Please. Yes. After Brant Jean hugged the sobbing former officer, another remarkable show of love, State District Judge Tammy Kemp gave Geiger a Bible and directed her to read John 316 and even hugged her as well. The district attorney said Brant Jean's act was an amazing act of healing and forgiveness that should guide the community going forward. Mark Martin, CBN News.
0: God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy that's what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God what he was able to do because he understand what God had done for him allowed him to spread a message that has gone viral for people to see here is a different way to respond regardless of whether it was intentional or not that would exemplify what the kingdom of God looks like, which leads us to verse eight. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, physical cleanliness in those days was critical. Uh, The Pharisees not only followed the Old Testament law, but they also followed an an additional rule book called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah uh, uh, gave them um, some specific examples of how to interpret or follow the Old Testament law, and so much of it had to do with ceremonial cleansings. Washing the dishes a certain way, washing your hands a certain way, washing your feet a certain way at a certain time. And so ceremonial washing, being pure was important. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 all that stuff is on the outside. He goes, those who are pure in heart are going to be those a part of the kingdom of God. Those are the ones who are going to see God. And in fact, and later on, he's gonna rail on the Pharisees and he's gonna call them whitewashed tombs, meaning they look really good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. And he says he wants that to be reversed. He wants people to be great on the inside as well as on the outside. Blessed are the pure in heart, which leads us to verse nine. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons or children of God to restore peace. A peacekeeper tries to keep the peace in all costs, They're the ones that you or your family member might know that whenever there's any tension, whenever there's any conflict, they jump in, they interrupt, they try to smooth it over at all costs because they don't like conflict. Unknowingly, they're just exasperating the conflict that is and it's actually building up over time. A peacemaker actually goes after conflict. They're aware of conflict and they reach out and they do their part to try to bring other people together in their relationships with one another and their relationships relationship with God and God says these are my kids. These are the ones who are gonna reflect me as part of the kingdom. These are the ones, you know, who experience the peace that only comes from Jesus Christ and who are then trying to extol the peace because all of us have conflict internally and otherwise. And can we bring this good news, this help in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering? Can we establish, the Bible would call, the word shalom. And then we lastly, we hit this. In Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, God blesses those who, who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Not when people say just nasty things about you, but because you are my followers. Be happy about it, be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I wanted to show you that story uh, of the video we saw you know, just a few seconds ago, because if you haven't seen it since, uh, the judge is getting hammered right now. Uh, the judge is saying, you've crossed a line. How dare you, you know, begin to proselytize? How dare you? And in a moment that obviously she's a follower of Jesus, she decided to lovingly, through the lead of the, of, the, of the boy, begin to say, if I can provide some comfort and help, I will do that as well, and she is getting persecuted. Why is she getting persecuted? Because she's a follower of Jesus, there's no other reason. There's no other reason because of that. And so she should be glad because other people were persecuted as well. Other people have gone through it. If you are persecuted for no other reason than being a follower of Jesus, we can have internal joy. We can experience that knowing we're not alone. First, Jesus is with us, and secondly, other people are going through it as well. If you don't think our country is headed in that direction, you have closed your eyes over the last five years. Call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ outside these walls in the next five years in different parts of this country and see what response that you will get. And so you hold on, you have that bedrock, you have built your life upon a rock because you know that this world is not your home, that this is not all there is, that there's something greater. And so we don't live as if this is the only thing and we're gonna be a people who extend something different than what the world can provide. And Jesus is offering us to be able to be part of the kingdom. Now, who can do all these things? Nobody. Nobody can be pure in heart and humble and merciful and all that kind of stuff. We all fall short, which is the whole point of what Jesus is saying. See, to the Jewish people, they were trying to live by a bunch of rules and regulations, over 400 of them, and the Pharisees were modeling and saying, look, we're following all the rules of the law, all the ways, and Jesus is making a point. Nope not according to the kingdom of God, not according to the new path that's gonna connect you to God and others. Nobody can make it so that nobody can look in the mirror and say, look what I've done. That without Jesus, we can't do these things. And so our absolute dependence on him is what ushers us, connects us, gives us strength in this side of eternity as we are part of the kingdom of God. We are first followers of him. So how do we do it? How do we develop a merciful heart, a pure heart? How do we become righteous? How do we receive this internal blessing? What's interesting is that Jesus actually tells us without telling us. If you go back to verse one, we'll wrap up with this. One day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Notice this. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. See, the secret to having these be a part of our real lives is by spending time with Jesus. See, these followers, these, these people in Jesus' day, they had other places they could have been. They had other priorities that could have been a part of their lives, and they left those, and they went and they said, we're gonna go out, we're gonna connect with this Jesus person. And what Jesus is saying is when we abide in him, when we connect with him, when we accept him as Savior and Lord, and we continue that relationship, over time, we experience, in the midst and above any of the circumstances, this blessing. That's internal regardless of the circumstances. But if you're like me, maybe you're a little bit more like Peter, where you step out of the boat and you got your eyes on Jesus and you can walk on water, but then you take your eyes off Jesus, you get busy, you stop spending time with him, and you find yourself so stressed, so anxious, so worried, so fill in the blank. And then you come back and you're here this morning to maybe be re centered. To connect again with Jesus, to make him a priority, not just on Sundays, which is a great place to start, but throughout the rest of the week, as you and I live as sons and daughters of the King, as part of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray that you would allow us to be able to represent you because we spent time with you, because we understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Father, thank you for the beginning of this journey that we're going to go on together. I pray that the first thing that we would do was make time for you, that during the course of our day, we'd be at your feet, listening, following, asking for help and guidance. And that over time and in each circumstance that we would receive the blessing, the internal joy that comes beyond circumstance, the makarios that you taught about. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.